Greetings once again, Retreat Church. Um, so good to be with you today from Ukaipa, and um, I know that it, around here, folks around here, we are experiencing a lot of different things, right? So many things. Um, and a lot of it has to deal with, with, with smoke, right? And we just feel like it smells like a big barbecue outside, but, but not good, like one of those bad barbecues where the person that's cooking the meat is just like burning, burning everything, and it just has this sense of, of overcast and smoke and the smell of burnt and um, you can't escape um, what's going on in our community today. And, you know, it's interesting that our church, you know, we, we meet outside and, and we worship outside in in-person gatherings. And, um, but now that there's the smoke and the, those kind of things, and, and so we have to deal with, deal with that. And, you know, after a while, it just gets a little bit, like, old, right? A little bit frustrating, like, ugh. But you know what? That's when God, I think, does some of the most outstanding things, and we see God more clearly. I think that against the backdrop of all this stuff going on, um, we can see God more clearly. And I know that that doesn't sound very, to some of you, that, that might sound kind of cliche. You know, for some of you, you've experienced that, and, and God has moved you through some very dark times, and, and God has shown up for you in very powerful ways, and, and you're resonating with what I'm saying right now. And, and as we deal with the political unrest and the racial divide and the, the fires here in Ukaipa and, of course, the, the, the pandemic um, that seems to just go on and on and on and all of the stuff, and, and uh, it feels like there's very little place for you to kind of get away from the trouble. It seems like every time you have an avenue to get away from what's going on today, it feels like something else is coming against us. And I just want to encourage you today that God is, is more powerful than anything that we're dealing with today. And, and there is a way to make this one of the most productive seasons in your life. There is a way to make this one of the most amazing seasons of the time of the church. This is, this is a great opportunity. And I know that um, when we look at things like this and the emotion of it and kind of disconnects us from like the logic of it, because I think in our heads we understand that when difficulty comes, we know that greatness arises to that, that we know what a hero is because they show up in times of tragedy. We know who really loves us and who really cares for us because they, they show up when we're having a, a, of our worst times, that those are the people that draw in and draw close to us when we're hurting. We, so in these times, I think we can see the people that really love us. I think we see them more clearly and more appreciatively. We learn the bonds of a community um, and the people that live next to us. We, we see the bonds there and the closeness there and the importance there. I think we um, start to watch some of the things that we don't think are very significant kind of really become very insignificant and, and go away. Some of the things that, that, that bother us no, no longer really bother us because we see them as trivial. Um, and so I think that this could be a wonderful time. But I want to address something that, that really um, stands out in our passage of Scripture today in the book of Acts and something that is causing many, many um, people to stay away from God and is causing many Christians to kind of lose hope. And so I want to talk to you today about a means by which to move through difficult times that will restore hope. And I think one of the areas that we need restored hope in is restored hope in humanity. 
And I think that right now in the city of Ukaipa, the firefighters are helping us see that. The firefighters are helping us see that there really are beautiful people in the world that show up and run in when people, everybody else has to run out. And I think that when we see neighbors helping neighbors, I think our hope of humanity begins to, to, to be re-energized. And um, when things are on fire, it's kind of hard to argue about politics, isn't it? When things are on fire, it's kind of hard to argue about skin color, isn't it? When things are on fire, we tend to um, go into the mode of what is most significant. When you have to get everything out of your house and you have to evacuate, you start to kind of evaluate what is really important in this place. And, and, and it's the people, it, it's the lives, it's the memories, it's the, it's the things we've received from grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, those family kind of heirlooms. And so when all this takes place, that we're, what we're dealing with today, I think there's a, a major question being asked to the church by God, and that is, what do you really think is important right now? What, what do you think is very, very, um, to use one of the key words today, what, what is really essential in your life? And then what are you going to do in this moment? What are you going to do in this moment? And so I, I, I want to try to help us today with something that seems to be um, somewhat simplistic and maybe even cliche, but... Um, but I think it's the only, only option we have right now. I, I believe that there are many things that we can do right now, but I believe that there is only really one thing that we can do or two things that, that we can do that are going to actually be productive. Because in our text today, we have this situation that is very obvious that when God um, gives someone a miracle, when God does something freeing in someone's life, and he moves in a way that it's obviously God. It moves in a way that there was no other human explanation except for God. When God comes through in that way, um, there's usually and typically someone very close to that miracle who did not receive rest, not receive um, a miracle, that did not receive a mighty move of God, that, that they felt like they've been sort of left out. Like in, in, in circumstances such as we're facing in California today with all of these fires, you know we're going to hear these stories. We, we hear them every time something like this happens. We hear of somebody barely escaping with their life. We hear of another person losing life. We hear of homes being destroyed. I mean, just burnt right straight to the ground with absolutely no material things left. And then the house next door, it's as though it's just a wonderful late summer, early fall day, and there's no flame, no problem, no, no smell of smoke in the house. There's no flame damage. Everything is perfect. It's as though, you know, the fire never was, was in the area. And you have these kinds of stories going on. And um, within those, you kind of, a lot of people start to wonder, because if you're the one whose house got spared, okay, in, in any area, if you're the one that received the miracle, then you are so appreciative right now. You're thanking the firemen. You're thanking neighbors. You're thanking God. You're praising Jesus. You're, you're all about getting to church and getting your worship on. You know? you're, you're, you're there. You're, you're, you're excited. You're thrilled. You're assured of God's um, love for you. You're assured of God's grace in your life. You're assured of God's attention and, and watching out for you. The Bible for you is true. You read the miracles and go, yay, that's me. And you're, you're just in this zone. But then the person who's lost everything 
a person who has suffered, suffered uh, tragedy, they're like on the off, opposite end of that spectrum. They're saying, I'm, I'm glad for you because they're your neighbors, so they love you. They're, they're glad that your house was spared. They're glad that you received your miracle, and you're glad that, they're glad that God moved so mightily in your life. But there's something going on in their heart a lot of times, and, and they're wondering, you know, what, what happened? Well, what, what about me? What about, what about you know, God and me? Did, did something happen? Did God forget about me? Did, did God, you know, somehow not love me like he loved the Nazareth? Does God do miracles in everybody's life except mine? Um, is the Bible true for some people, but the Bible's not really true in me because the things that happen in the Bible just simply don't happen in my life? You know, one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is because it, it gives us these situations. It gives us these times. And um, in Acts chapter 12 is one of those times where we read at the beginning that sometimes God does not spare his people. That's so hard for us to get excited about, right? It's so hard. Sometimes God doesn't move mightily and spare people from tragedy and heartache. Look at what happened in the first um, opening verses of chapter 12. It says this, it says, About that same time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Did you catch that? Okay. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. This was also during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but under, a, under earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, the rest of the story, up, all the way up to verse 19, deals with how God miraculously spared Peter. But we have to first deal with verse 2. Because verse 2 says, he being Herod, um, Herod, not Herod, Herod, um, killed James, the brother of John. This is James and John. This is James of Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus. The three that when, you know, Jesus spoke to the masses, he spoke to his disciples, he spoke to the twelve, and then Jesus oftentimes pulled away the three. Peter, James, and John. It was this James that had this intimate relationship with Jesus. And in this place in Acts chapter 12, God allows this James to be killed by Herod. See, this, this doesn't make for good preaching, does it? This doesn't mean a, it's one of those verses where you read a verse and the words in the English words in the verse, they, uh, they're exciting. And uh, you take those words, those English words, and you apply them to your own life, and you say, well, God, you did that there, so be true to your Scripture and do that in my life. And we say this thing, okay, we do this thing, and I, I, I don't believe this is helpful, okay? I, I, I just don't. And some of my Christian friends are going to be upset with me right now, but I don't believe this is helpful, that some people claim a verse for themselves. So if God comes and he tells Peter something, hey, Peter, I'm going to do this in your life. He's, Jesus is talking to Peter. Well, then we kind of hijack the conversation and come in and say, oh, I'm going to claim that verse. And in Jesus' name, I claim that verse. That's senseless. Okay, that's not biblical. 
Because nobody's claiming Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Nobody is having a moment in their life where they say, yes, Jesus, I'm praying in Jesus' name that this happens. No, one, no one's saying that. Nobody claims Acts 12, 2, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You're not putting that on a sticker. You're not wearing that on a shirt. You're, you're, you're not doing this Christianese kind of nonsense where if you think if you say it enough times, then somehow you, you say it enough times, and so that obligates God to do it. See, some of us feel like we're, we are indeed living in verse 2, but we didn't ask for it. And verse 2 of chapter 12 feels like God has forgotten us. Feels like God doesn't exist. Feels like we've just been left all on our own. And no matter how powerful the miracle story is, and how wonderful what God did for Peter is, the people that suffered with James... John, his brother, in particular. What is he supposed to do? John is, by the way, the one that later writes the book of Revelation. Isn't that amazing? But we're left to ask these questions of why. Now there is a biblical way to look at this text and to say the why. There is. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But, you know, I've noticed that why God spared Peter doesn't make the family of James feel any better. Make him feel any better. None of us ever lose a loved one or suffer tragedy, learn of a miracle for someone else, and when we get the information in our head that somehow now we're happy with tragedy, that somehow now we're thrilled with what took place. No. No, not at all. The answer to why is not going to help in this situation. But sometimes we notice that God does spare His children. And we get that in the story of Peter. And you can read in verses 6-19 through 19 how God miraculously spared Peter by sending an angel to release him from jail. What more powerful thing is that? What more miraculous, wonderful event is that when God literally sends an angel and he enables, even opens the gates of the jail before Peter. He doesn't even have to like reach out and touch the doorknob. You know, it's like it's so God, it's so powerful, it's so amazing, it's so thrilling that Peter does not even need to reach out and touch the door. It just opens in front of him and he walks out. And you know how shocking this is, is that when Peter gets to Mary's house where he's going, Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, the name of John Mark, we know him. When Peter comes to his house, they think that it's his ghost. They think that it's a spirit. They've been praying in the house for a miracle. The miracle happens in, P in Peter's life. Peter shows up. God gives them the miracle that they've requested. And when it happens, they don't believe it. They don't see it. It's so amazingly outside of what they're thinking. They're, they're people like us. They pray for things, and they don't expect God to do any of it. And they, they, they pray for things because it's the Christian thing to do, because they don't know what else to do. It's like, what, what else do we do? We can't go knock on the prison door. We can't go get him out. We can't go rescue him. We, we, there's nothing we could do we're out of options so we gather together and we and we say let's pray but we don't know what we're praying for and we don't know why we're praying and we don't know really what's going to happen and then when God answers our prayers with a yes we're, we're shocked and floored by it it's just an amazing 
um, picture of how hurt and how confused and how much heartache we have that we don't know what to do. And so we just cling onto these these ideas, we cling onto these habits, we cling onto these rituals, we cling onto things that are, that are somewhat normal to us, but yet we don't even realize like why, why we're trying to do them. And meanwhile, you see that God is he's working in this grand kind of picture. And one of the reasons that you notice in this text that when God saves people, saves his children, he's saving them for a reason, he's saving them to do something, he's saving them to become something, and he's saving them for a reason. And it is so amazing that God takes Peter, puts them in this home, the Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark then becomes like an interpreter for, for Peter. Peter teaches John Mark everything that he knows about Jesus. John Mark then becomes the author of the book of Mark. Mark then leaves and goes to Egypt and starts the Christian church in Egypt. And Mark is doing all of these wonderful things because he has this relationship with Peter. So part of the why behind what God was doing in this text was he was sparing Peter's life, connecting Peter to John Mark. John Mark writing a gospel that's going to change the trajectory of history. That he's going to move John Mark into into Egypt and he's going to start the church in Egypt. And he's going to do all of these great things now and I'm telling you this why that we have of why God spared Peter and that Peter later would write first and second Peter and teach us so much about Jesus through that that Peter would continue to do ministry in the book of Acts forward until he too was eventually martyred you see it wasn't as though God spared Peter and then Peter never suffered Peter's life ended like James ended But there was this longer in-between period. There was this miracle that sustained Peter to do a certain work for God and his kingdom. And that was why God spared Peter. But the why behind sparing God's Peter did not help the family of James. If you were John, you, you would not feel any better about that. At least, at least I wouldn't. But then John goes on. from this place. John goes on after losing his brother. John goes on to write the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And John goes on to do these great things. We we don't read of John's faith collapsing. We don't read of of John getting upset and rebelling against God. We don't read of of John going out and and participating in things out of the sense of pain and rebellion only to excuse himself because he's hurting. We don't see that. So sometimes God does not spare his children. James was killed with the sword. Sometimes God does spare his children, and he spares his children for specific purposes to do specific things, but that really doesn't help the people that are suffering. It doesn't take their suffering away. The why never takes your suffering away. And then you have that sometimes that God just wipes out people that oppose him. Man, we don't like to talk about God in that way, do we? I mean, that's a scary thought to think that God Almighty... Would, 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 would intervene and, and end someone's life. We think that that was like the mean God of the Old Testament, that that's not the God of the New Testament, which don't get me going on, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with that, but, but notice in verse 20 through 25, you have the death of Herod. It says, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king of Chamberlain, the king's chamberlain, 
excuse me. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. God eliminated Herod. That is so scary. Do you understand the God that we're dealing with in this text? The God that has the ability to spare life and God has the ability to take life? Do you realize that, that, that this is the God that is ignored and blasphemed? That this is the God who has spoken against and ridiculed? But this is also the God that invites us into a personal relationship with Him? That this is also a God that calls for us to be in unity with Him? And this is amazing. And when you read secular his, Jewish history about this moment, you learn that um, Josephus writes about this, and he says that, that Herod, after this speech, that he was overcome with stomach pain, and that he um, was taken back, he was taken back into his home, wherever, I don't know where they take the king at those, that point, but they took him back, and for five days he suffered with this immense stomach pain, and then Herod said he died of that. Well, so you see, Josephus does not give God any credit for that. He just simply says that the king died of a stomach ailment. But yet in this text, you see the spiritual side of it is that God sent an angel and struck him with that sickness that killed him. You see, we can live life by totally ignoring God and putting all these things in a naturalistic framework and saying that at that time people were violent and they had James killed, but yet Peter escaped. And the secular view of that would have been a jailer had ended up letting him out and then they made up this story of a miracle. And then you have the death of Herod being just of an illness. So you can look at this story from a secular perspective or from a spiritual perspective. And the secular perspective just kind of leaves us with, well, that's the way the world is. Well, that's the way people are. People of power kill those with no power. We, we like to talk about that today. We, we look at these issues and we say that sometimes people betray others and, and help them through, that maybe these jailers portrayed their duties. They betrayed, I mean, they um, got, got rid of and they, they, they rebelled against the people that they were in, in charge of and, and that were signing them and they betrayed them. And they, they just kind of helped that. And it was just that person that, that God had nothing to do with it. It was just the jailer that let him out. And then Herod, after giving a speech, got a, a bellyache and, and died of, of, of some illness. You see, you can, you can take these things. You can look at what's going on in our country today and you can say, well, there's political divide because people are just screwy and that's what they do. That there's, there's racial tension because that's what people do. And and we need, we're, we need, we need um, educational um, s solutions to these things. And we need political solutions to these things. And we need man to, to straighten up. We have fires because we live next to a forest. It's just the way the world works. 
And we just kind of go with it and make the best of it. And um, it's just the way the world works. Or we can look and we can say, well, God is, must be up to something because there's all of this division and there's all of this tension and there's natural disasters. And we go, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Is God up to something? I think He is. And I think that verse 24 really tells us what's really important. But the Word of God increased and multiplied. So you had all of these things going on. Even in the view from a naturalistic framework or from a biblical worldview framework, and you look at those two things, but the truth of the matter is the Word of God kept spreading. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what man was doing or what man was trying to do or what man's goals were. God was moving His Word forward. God is moving His Word forward today. And so maybe you are a person that is struggling today because you, you lost everything. You know, I, I think that in this time we need to go to what Peter said. Peter said something in verse uh, 12 through 19 in 1 Peter chapter 4, reflecting upon his life, teaching what he knew to teach. And we basically get this idea, we get this idea of trusting God and doing good. This is, this is what Peter would advise us. As Peter went through all of this stuff, as Peter knew about James and Peter um, knew about his miracle, the bottom line for Peter would be to do good, to trust God and to do something good. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at a fiery trial when it comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening. This is not something strange or out of the order. We should not be confused. We should not be shocked. We should not be amazed that because we live next to a forest that there's a fire. How shocking. <laughs> um, we should not be amazed that in an election year we have political division. Not shocking. Due to the, what has taken place in our country over its existence, we should not be shocked that we have racial tension. We should be floored by that. It's nothing new. It's nothing surprising. It's bad. It's terrifying. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. It needs to be fixed but it won't be fixed by natural inclinations of man. It will not be. It will only be perpetuated. See, but then Peter goes on and he says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad at His coming. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, but in the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or a meddler, if, or excuse me, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will, it be, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, you notice that? Speaking of James, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, here's the key, entrust their souls to the faithful Creator while doing good. 
Do you see what Peter does there? Peter says, if you're suffering for doing good, entrust your soul to the faithful God and do good. You see, James' soul was spared. His body was killed by Herod. His soul was entrusted to the faithful God. His soul was reunited with God and in the presence of Christ. On that day when James lost his life, in a physical sense, he returned and was present with the Lord. When Peter was spared, he did the work that God had for him to do. And then when he was martyred, his soul was in the presence of Jesus. We too. We too will live our lives. We too will be spared at times. And then ultimately something, either age or accident or natural causes or tragedy, our physical life will end. But we must trust our souls to God so that when our physical life ends, we are in the presence of Jesus. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we do as much good as possible. We do as much good to as many people as possible in our life. And we are wondering why all this tragedy, the answer that I know is simplistic, but we trust our souls to God and we do something good. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.